0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are a few different angles from which we can view the third commandment. We can all see very clearly that this commandment forbids all blasphemy and all careless use of God's name, as well as all casual promise-making and oath-taking that is done lightly, trivially, and without due seriousness. Those are rather obvious applications of the third commandment, and we tend to think along those lines when we give thought to this commandment, that it pertains simply or primarily or even exclusively to our speech, how we talk about God, how we don't curse or swear, how we don't use foul language, how we are to watch carefully the use of our tongues, as well as monitor the use of tongues as we hear them on the radio or on television and the like. All of that is true, and we don't minimize or downplay any of it, but the third commandment does not only include a negative prohibition, don't do this and don't do that, but it also gives us a positive obligation that we are to positively advance the name of God. Have you ever thought about the third commandment in that way? That's the particular angle that we'll take this afternoon in considering the third commandment to look particularly at what it means to be one who bears God's name and how we should then confess his name faithfully in this world, even in the face of opposition for his sake. And so I preach God's word to you this afternoon under the following theme, wherever you go, You take God's name with you. We'll consider first how God's name became attached to you and secondly, how God's name must be confessed by you. First, how did God's name become attached to you? In the first place, notice that the third commandment reads, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It doesn't say You shall speak the name of the Lord, or not speak, doesn't say you shall not speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. Though it certainly does include speech, the word that is used is take, or you might translate it carry. That's the commandment God gave at Sinai. So it is a given that you will carry the name of the Lord, You will take it somewhere. You will use it somehow. The only question is, how? Now it is necessary to see how this relates to worship. That's what the first four commandments are all directed at, worship. So as the first commandment had said, you shall have no other gods before me, There being addressed was the primary loyalty of our lives, worshipping none other than the one true God. And the second commandment followed that up by regulating worship, not on the basis of our own preferences or our own whims or wishes, but calling us to worship in the way that God himself has regulated it in the truth of his word. And now the third commandment builds on all of that by dealing with our attitude toward worship, we could say. And the third commandment does, does that by speaking in terms of the name of the Lord, Now, what do we mean by the name of the Lord? Well, what we must understand is that the name of the Lord is not simply a designation, a mere identity marker like our names, Jim, Bob, Sally. It's more than just a tag or a title that we put on some person. In the Bible, God's name stands for his existence. His presence represents all that he is. It represents his blessing, his covenant relationship. And God places his name on a variety of people or places throughout the Bible. For example, when the Lord gave instructions for building the tabernacle, he spoke of placing his name on the tabernacle. It's not just and he did that in order to signify that he lives among his people. And there he would be present and dwell. And as we read earlier in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, after Solomon had finished building the temple, God places his name upon it as well. It's not just a tag or a signpost or a a sign by the roadside, the temple would always be associated with God. And not only did we read that his name was placed on the temple, but also on the people who were called by his name. It was all to show that God had established a special relationship with them. That he had attached himself to them in a unique and intimate way. And so, looking at the third commandment in that light, we can see that this commandment is not only about not using foul or blasphemous language, it also calls us to confess that we have a relationship with God and to show that we live in that relationship which God has established by means of his covenant. Now all of this relates to you, brothers and sisters, of course, through your baptism. What does the minister say when a child is brought to the front, as will maybe happen next week or in the coming weeks very soon? So-and-so the name, I baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, spoken to the child in the presence of the believing community. So when we are baptized, there is a recognition that we are joined into a fellowship, into a relationship with the triune God. You are baptized in the recognition that God, the God who has made you, has also made a covenant with you, signifying and sealing his promises to you through baptism. So already at baptism, God wants to convey to you, you bear my name. To take the name of the Lord or to bear his name speaks then of your relationship with him. It means to realize and to accept and to recognize that in terms of how I live my life. I am called by God to live in covenant loyalty and faithfulness and devotion to the God who has made me and rescued me from my sin and its punishment. This is our covenantal obligation to go with the promises of God has made to us. What this means is that from the moment that that we get up in the morning to the moment that we go to bed at night, we live our lives always with the recognition of that relationship, to put in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day One, that I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price, that I'm not my own, I've been made for God's glory. Did you know, boys and girls, that that's why God made you? Young people, that's why God made you. If you're 20 or 30 or older, why did God put you here on this earth? He did not place you on this earth in order for you to do your own thing, to live for yourself your own wants, your own desires. No, in Isaiah 43, verse seven, the Lord says, everyone who is called by my name, He is speaking there of his sons and daughters, his redeemed people. What does he say about them? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we are. We live always in that covenant relationship. We live with the name of God attached to us, not because we were more worthy or deserving than anyone else, but it is an honor and it is a privilege that he has granted to us only for the sake of his grace. He has given his name to you to take it with you wherever you go. This brings us now to our second point, considering what we are to do with that name, how God's name must be confessed by you. Well, Confessing the name of God means that you are a living, walking, breathing sermon of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has put his mark on you. You bear the name Christian. God has said, you belong to me. Now go and be my witnesses throughout the earth. This speaks of how we are to have a a willing acceptance of that new relationship we have as God's people. Whereas formerly God had said, you are not my people Now you are my people. Now you have a new identity and it is linked to me. And so with that, you also have a new calling. The calling to be a light, a witness, ambassadors, and representatives of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means you don't simply live for yourself. You don't simply live to find a a comfortable setting, a comfortable spot where you can carve out a, a quiet and peaceful corner for yourself among the unbelieving world to fit in, to shape your life according to its mold. But you are to stand up and to stand out distinctly because you are God's people who bear his name. So to bear the name of God means that you have been set apart from the world in order that you would go out into the world and make the glories of Jesus Christ known. Notice how the catechism picks up on this too. In question and answer 99, we read God's will for us in the third commandment is that we use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence. In other words, to take God's name in vain means to treat God or his word or his people with contempt, as something frivolous, as something trivial. By doing so, we speak falsely or contrary to God's word, which is a form of blasphemy. Same goes, same goes as well with, with coming before God in worship, with an irreverent attitude or with careless indifference. You know, there's got to be a more comfortable place for a Sunday nap than on a church pew. That's coming before God in worship with an irreverent attitude or, or careless indifference. That is to blaspheme the name of God. Also, it is to treat God as if he were less than who he says he is, as though he is simply someone who Checks our attendance and clocks our time spent at church or church related functions, even if we are sleeping or slumbering, and that he is simply satisfied and pleased with a half hearted commitment. Oh, what a big mistake to think so little of the name of God. It is nothing to be trifled with. Instead, coming before God is something that must be done with an attitude uh, and a posture of reverence and awe. And I would add exuberance, that we may rightly know him, properly confess him, pray to him, and praise him in everything we do and say. That's true Reformed worship, not the kind of cold and stiff cardboard cutout kind of worship, the the common caricature. May the worship here at, at Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church and in every Canadian Reformed Church prove that caricature is wrong. Now, what we should also emphasize here is that the recognition that bearing the name of God means there is also a public aspect to our faith. It is not simply some private matter that we tuck away and we never talk about, and that we, that we simply devote one day of the week to the public worship and then go the rest of the days of the week as, as closet Christians, living as if God doesn't exist. No, if we bear the name of Christ, if you bear the name of God upon your life, God has given you that name in order to make the good news known, to make Jesus Christ known wherever you go. You don't need to go overseas to do that. You don't need to be sent as a missionary somewhere far away. It means that you have been placed by God where he has placed you and he has put you there to be his ambassador There, in the home, in the field, in the school classroom, on the playground, on the job site. But there's a warning here as well, for as we confess God's name, well, that confession is not always going to be warmly received by all. Sometimes people will have great, and fierce opposition and hostility and resentfulness and anger towards us for declaring God's name. Those who bear God's name will feel the pressure. Maybe you know and experience this at work or in your family so that you may, you, you may be tempted to suppress that name and hide that name and conceal that name for the sake of making things go smoothly between you and your family member or your coworker or your classmate. That's why Christ's words in Matthew 10 are given to us both as an encouragement and as a warning. Listen again to what Jesus says. He said to his disciples in Matthew 10, 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What a scary thought. I send you out among people who are thirsty, who are out for blood. They're not going to like you. They will think that you are arrogant, They'll think that you are narrow-minded, that you are bigoted. And they will call you all sorts of names. But for the honor of God and out of love for the lost, you are my chosen instruments, my messengers whom I send out to make my name known. That's why Christ says in Matthew 10, 26, verse 26, so have no fear of them, For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. In other words, you have a message from Christ to bring universally, and you can do so confidently, starting right in your own home with your closest your most regular contacts, you are my witnesses, the witnesses God has provided for them to learn about the glory of Jesus Christ and about the wonders of what he has done and the goodness of his will. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we all know the temptation is to to cave in, to close our mouths, to say like peter i don't know him and i never knew him why why would anyone say that who loves jesus christ and knows him as lord it's the pressure of the moment is the fear of disapproval from others it's the fear of our own security and our own comfort we might disturb the peace We might rock the boat. We might upset the apple cart or worse. They arrested Jesus. They'll arrest me. They'll, they put him to death. They'll put me to death. We might fear the approval of men more than we fear the approval of God. And that's the tendency that Jesus wants to address there when he says, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both both soul and body in hell. Those are truly sobering words and words that we must take seriously and take to heart and consider how they apply in real and practical ways in our lives. Now, we here in Edmonton, don't, we don't fear the imminent threat of physical harm being inflicted upon us. It's because we live in a free country and we live in a time where we won't be arrested for doing what we are doing this day. Nevertheless, that should not prevent us from praying for that religious freedom to be protected, as we will do later in this service. But I'm sure that you realize the same uh, measure of freedom cannot be said about all other Christians in this world. Some of them understand in a very pointed way what Jesus was talking about here. Just think of those who live in communist countries like North Korea or imagine it's a neighbor who wants to cause trouble for you, or even a relative in your own family who does not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, confessing the name of God is always, is not always a recipe for making friends. In many places, you can be arrested, your property confiscated. You could even be executed because of your profession of faith. Well, Jesus says to such people, do not fear them. If only we had the boldness of what Jesus speaks. Because on a, on a much smaller scale isn't the temptation, as I said, just to keep your mouth shut. When you hear the word of God maligned, when you encounter people who are openly speaking and living in opposition to God's word and and to his commandments, the temptation for many of us is simply to retreat and to withdraw and to say, this is none of my business. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to deal with the consequences of this. I just want... It to be. I want things to be smooth over and blissful. But Jesus says, if you seek to honor your confession of the name of God, then you will open your mouths and you will speak out and you will be the prophetic voice speaking what needs to be heard. For he says to everyone who acknowledges Jesus Christ before men, he himself, will also acknowledge before his Father in heaven. What an amazing comfort, what an amazing encouragement for us to be bold and to be diligent, to be faithful, to live our lives with the awareness that we bear the name of our Lord and Savior in this world and should do so unafraid. But with that encouragement comes a warning Christ says, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know you all well enough to know how each of you bears God's name through your day-to-day living, but I offer this as a challenge to you. When you're going about the business of life, at home, or at school, or at work, or in your neighborhood, or wherever have you, as you go about those things, are you aware that you, as you are doing so, as you do them, you are bearing the name of God. Whether you are speaking it or not, you are living witnesses, living advertisements, living, walking, breathing sermons, of the God who has called you to glorify his name because he has made you for his glory. Simply reflect upon that and be aware of those moments. Be aware of that in those moments when you will be tempted to keep your mouth shut, to keep it closed. And think also of the danger of what happens when God's people abandon the Lord, when they do not live for him, when they ignore or reject the word of truth. This not only leads to their own destruction, their own decline and downfall, but living carelessly in covenant disloyalty to God causes his name to be tarnished, to be dragged through the mud so that he is blasphemed among the nations. This too, by our lifestyle, has everything to do with the third commandment, that we do not live our lives, if we do not live our lives with the keen awareness of the name that we bear, then we cause others around us to blaspheme the name of God. So how do you bear his name, brothers and sisters? Do you bear it as those who are brave and courageous, as those who are bold to speak the word of truth, even when others do not want to hear it, not afraid of what others think of you? Or are you sheepish, timid, And easily coward, content to live your Christian life in a quiet corner. Some may call it a bubble. Hidden away where no one can find you. And what is motivating you to do one or the other? Do you crave the approval of men more than you crave the approval and blessing of God? If so, be warned if you cower before men, if you concede and deny the name of Jesus Christ, then there will come a time when God will also turn his back upon you. But as a final note, by way of encouragement, think about this. Who is the ultimate bearer of the name of God? It's Jesus Christ, is it not? He kept the third commandment perfectly and flawlessly and he revealed God truthfully and faithfully in word and deed, rendering true obedience on behalf of those who had disobeyed God so many times and failed to live up to the high standard of God's law. And so the apostles recognize that Christ's name, too, must be elevated, must be treated with the highest reverence and awe. For as we can read in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, as the apostles were ministering God's word and facing opposition, and they were arrested and put before the Jewish religious leaders, they say, we have to obey God rather than men. And they go on to say that why they cannot stop preaching the name of Christ as the only way of salvation saying for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. No other name than the name of Jesus in which salvation can be found. And when Paul sums up the whole of human history, what does he say the the course of of human history is leading up to? It's leading up to the day when the gospel will not only go out from the pulpit, from the mouth of the preacher, from the mouth of the minister or missionary, but when the gospel will be on the tongue of everyone. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let that be our aim already now. May that be our goal to honor the name of God by our lips and by our lives in everything we say and do. To do anything less is to take his name in vain, is it not? But he has given his name to you He has put it on you in a much more profound sense than having a tattoo put on your arm or even having a Bible in your hand or a a fish emblem on your car or a nice plaque or inscription on the wall in your house, however lovely any of those things may be. He has etched his name onto your heart and life. He has signed it to you and sealed it to you on your forehead. And so we close with this thought. Many of us will remember in our earliest days of our schooling, we were given the age-old assignment of show and tell. As the young boys and girls among us surely know, all you have to do is bring something along with you and you describe it. And everyone has to guess what it is. Well, the Christian life is a life of ultimate show and tell. God has given his name to you, put it on you, and you are to show and tell that it is there, that it is real, that it is alive, that it is powerful and holy and glorious. That's our daily assignment, that's our daily calling as Christians wherever we go. Show and tell others through your words and through your works that the invisible name of God is written on your life and on your heart. The question for all of us then is, will others be able to see and guess that it is there? Amen.